0: Thanks for joining us. The following is a presentation of Ignite Global Ministries and features the teaching of Pastor Ben Dixon. Pastor Ben has a vision of strengthening the church to impact the world. He serves as lead pastor at Northwest Foursquare Church in Federal Way, Washington. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Mark chapter 8. We're going to be reading verses 27 through 38. I'm going to bring to you a message, and I'm calling it, Jesus is the Christ. We know the the word Christ also means Messiah or anointed one, but before we actually get into our message, let's go ahead and pray like we always do as we open up God's word together. So Father, we thank you today for your word, and we just declare that it is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Your word shows us where we are, shows us where we're going, and we thank you, Lord. We need your word today, and we pray, God, that you would convict us and instruct us. Lord, I pray that we would be a people that are on fire for Jesus Christ, passionate about the person and the purpose of the Lord Jesus. Lord, we enter into Passion Week as we remember what you've done, and we pray that the weight of who you are and what you've done and the revelation that we walk in, Lord, that that would just touch our hearts today, and that we would carry it all throughout this week as we remember you, as we celebrate you, and the full implications of what that means for us. Lord, we love you, and as we open your word, we pray that you would change our lives in Jesus' mighty name. And all of God's people said, amen. As we've entered into this very important week We understand that the name and the person of Jesus is mentioned many times by Christians and non-Christians alike. And we mean this historical figure of Jesus of Nazareth we're talking about. And the question is, as we look to and think about Jesus, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus to you? And I know that many of us have settled in our hearts who Jesus is, but I'm praying and, and I'm believing that there are people that will watch this broadcast who maybe have not settled in their hearts who Jesus is. Well, I pray today that as we look at Mark chapter 8, that we will actually settle in our minds and our hearts who Jesus Christ is. And I believe that the Lord himself will help us with that very thing. I want to read to you Mark chapter 8, and we're going to start in verse 27. And it says this, Jesus went out along with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he questioned his disciples saying to them, who do people say that I am? And they told him saying, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, but others, one of the prophets. We know that there's a a parallel account in the book of Matthew and Luke, and it mentions there one of the prophets being Jeremiah. There was some tradition that they held that this potentially is who Jesus was. Verse 29, he says, and he continued by questioning them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered and said to him, you are the Christ. And he warned them not to tell anyone about him. And he began to teach them that the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days, rise again. He was stating the matter plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning around and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on God's interests but man's. He summoned the crowd with his disciples, and he said to them, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Now in the timeline of Jesus' ministry, this, is about, this moment is about six to seven months away from what we call Passion Week, which is obviously the week that we are celebrating today, leading up to Jesus' his death and resurrection. Prior to this text, we read about a moment where the Pharisees had come out to see Jesus and essentially provoke him to prove that he may be the Messiah. In fact, they didn't believe that he was, but they were trying to catch him so that he would say to them that he was the Christ or he was the Messiah and therefore give them all of the evidence that they needed to prosecute him, which they eventually do anyways. They ask Jesus for a supernatural sign. Prove to us who you are by giving us a supernatural sign. And Jesus tells them, I will give you no sign. And he continues a journey with his disciples, going to various villages. And as he's on the way with his disciples, he reminds them of the miracle that he had recently performed. He asks them, Do you remember the five loaves and the two fish? And how that became enough for the thousands and the disciples are wondering even what he's talking about, but he's actually using that miracle to help them understand further that he is, in fact, the Messiah. He's trying to help them come to the conclusion that he is the Christ. He also helps them to understand and see that there is a leaven, so to speak, of the Pharisees, a blindness, a spiritual blindness that's over them. See, the Pharisees had witnessed the miracles of Jesus. They had already seen the signs, but they were blind to them and they were unwilling to see that Jesus was performing the signs of not any miracle worker, but that he in fact was the Messiah. Not long after this conversation That Jesus is having with his disciples, he enters a town called Bethsaida. And when he's there, he heals a man of his blindness, which further indicates that Jesus, again, is the Christ or the Messiah sent from God. Now, we know that there are hundreds of references in the Old Testament There are many prophecies. Scholars debate just how many prophecies there are about the first or the second coming of the Messiah. But we know there's at least 65, and there could be many hundreds. It depends on how specific we want to get. But there are many, many there. And it's important for us to realize that the Jewish people were awaiting a Messiah, they were longing for their Messiah to come to them, save them from their oppression and take his place as the ruling and conquering king. They were awaiting their Messiah, and they did not believe for a moment that Jesus was that Messiah, but this actually makes the identity of Jesus very, very important. Jesus and his disciples are now at this point on their way to Caesarea Philippi, and he uses this time very intentionally, and I think this passage reveals several things That we need to know, even that are important for this week, because everything that Jesus had done in walking with his disciples, talking with and teaching his disciples had led up to this moment. In fact, I, I actually believe this is this climax moment in the Gospels where Jesus finally establishes who he is to his disciples and they settle it once and for all. It is from that moment, as he sets his face towards Jerusalem, that he knows that he's going to give his life as a sacrifice for the sins of the world. He wants his disciples to be more and more prepared for that moment. And this is actually a very weighty moment that we're reading about today. There's a couple things that I want to bring out of the text that I think will absolutely help us, even encourage us where we are today. And the first thing I want to bring up is we want to talk about the person of Jesus because the first thing that Jesus wanted to do, as I have already said, is establish who he was. In verse 27 to 30, he asked his disciples two questions. And the first was, who do people say that I am? Some of them them would say that you're John the Baptist. Others would say that you're Elijah because they believed Elijah was going to come before the end and others still one of the prophets, or the prophet Jeremiah. Now think about this for a moment. All three of those individuals had already died at that point. So it was more feasible for people to believe that Jesus was a resurrected man, one of those, than to be the Messiah that was to come. Now, I think that's just interesting. Jesus asking him this question, who do the people say that I am? And they bring out sort of the narrative and the rhetoric that's going around, the gossip, the local gossip that has been shared. What do the polls say? What are people saying? People did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah who was to come because he did not fit their theological concept. They thought that the Messiah was gonna rise up with military and political power and call Israel to reign along his side and they were going to rule the nations. They took all of the Old Testament prophecies and promises into one. They did not understand there was a first and a second coming. They didn't get that concept at all. Even though there was a little bit of ambiguity uh, in as to the timeline of the Messiah or the fulfillment of the Messiah, they actually did not have this Concept. So the disciples, nor the other uh, Jewish onlookers and observers of Jesus' life, embraced or accepted him as the Christ or the Messiah. Sometimes people ask the question, why did the majority of the Jewish people not embrace Jesus as the Messiah? And you could answer that in two ways. It, it, put, it could be twofold. There's a natural answer and that things had become so political at that point And and doesn't that happen today? Things can become utterly and completely political, and that had happened in their time. But also in this context, we can speak to the spiritual component, and that the people were blinded. Many of them had remained blinded. They had chosen a blindness. They did not want Jesus to be the Messiah. He did not fit the bill. The second question, though, that Jesus asked the disciples is, who do you say that I am? And isn't it amazing how Peter speaks up first and he says, you are the Christ. And in Matthew chapter 16, a parallel account of a synoptic gospel, he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. He makes this declaration. He confesses. He comes into agreement with the true identity of the son of God. We don't want to miss this moment. Everything had built up to this very very climax where Peter confesses that he is the Christ. He is the anointed one. He is the fulfillment of all the prophecies that were given in the Old Testament, the long-awaited Messiah. Jesus, you are the one. And all of the disciples, I can imagine, just a hush comes over them, and they go, we knew this, we thought this, we believed this. You are the fulfillment. They settled it right then, and right there. And maybe Jesus is asking you today, who do you say that I am? That's the most important question that we could answer right right now and today is that who is Jesus Christ? Is he a moral man? Is he a legend? Is he a person with good principles and and and, and teachings? Is he a rebel that led a revolution? Is he a fictitious figure of the past that people have made up? There are a lot of different things that people say about this Jesus. But it doesn't matter what people say, Jesus looks to the heart of each one of us and he says, who do you say that I am? Maybe you've already settled who Jesus is, but if you haven't, you certainly can. You can say that Jesus Christ is Lord. He wanted in this moment right here for his disciples to know exactly who he was. And let me say to you today, he wants every one of us to know exactly who he is, that it's not ambiguous, that it's not some idea because if Jesus Christ is Lord, he is Lord of all. And if he's Lord, then he's worthy to be followed. He's worthy to be listened to. He's worthy to be obeyed. And that's what Jesus wants to settle in our hearts. But make note of this, every one of us will be accountable for what we do with Jesus. The second thing that we see from this passage is Jesus wants to establish what he was about to do, and that's the plan of Jesus. We read in verse 31 to 33 that he begins to teach them that he must suffer and die, be rejected, and rise again. Take notice of that. He says, I must suffer Jesus gives them an announcement of his death, and it's a very clear announcement of his death. It's the first of many that actually transpired during this period of time. He teaches them about the necessary suffering, the offering of his own life for the forgiveness of our sins, that he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Many of us have the question, and they did as well, why did Jesus have to die? And the, the answer for that is because every person was born in a sinful condition. That's right. We read back in Genesis chapter 2 where God told Adam and Eve, who were representative of all humanity, he said, do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In Genesis chapter 3, we see that the enemy tempts Eve and deceives Adam, the, This happens in Genesis 3, and they eat from the tree. They disobey God. God told them, the day you eat from the tree, you will die. And when they ate, spiritual death came into their life. Physical death was set In their life. And every human being that was born after them was born into a sinful state, a state where they were in need of being born again, being made alive. They needed, every person actually needs a Savior to be saved of our sin, to be forgiven of our sin, and made right with our Heavenly Father. If we are not made right with God, we will be eternally separated from Him because it's the choice that we made many years ago when our first parents, Adam and Eve, stepped into the place of humanity and disobeyed what God had told them to do. We are in this condition. We have spiritual death. We are separated from God. The sacrificial system of the Old Testament showed us that death was the consequences of our sin. And so they would take a a bull, a ram, or a goat, and every year that would be offered to atone for the sins of an individual or a family. And the priests would make that sacrifice, and a person's sins were atoned for. But it was only temporary. God wanted His people to understand that death is the consequence of your sin, but we know that the blood of bulls and goats did not satisfy our condition. It did not make us right before God. But there was one sacrifice a sacrifice given once and for all. And that was the precious lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, the coming Messiah who came into the world at that very time, became the Passover lamb that those who would believe in his finished work, in his sacrifice, his sinless sacrifice, would move from darkness to light. They would come out of death and they would come and be given life. That those who place their faith and trust in him would have their relationship with God restored because he becomes the substitutionary atonement. First John says the propitiation for our sins, that his blood covered our sinful condition forever. Those that place their faith in him. We needed a sacrifice. We needed someone to take our place because all of us are gonna die and all of us are gonna stand before God, but we cannot stand in our own righteousness. The Bible says in Romans that our righteousness is filthy rags before God. That's our best day. And it's not enough. Jesus is enough. His blood is precious. I want you to know something. When any teacher or preacher or pastor starts to mess around with the virgin birth, or the sinless life of Jesus, maybe suggesting that Jesus wasn't born of a virgin or maybe didn't live a sinless life, that person is a false teacher. The reason that Jesus had to be born of a virgin is because he, co- he could not come through Adam's line. He was born of the Holy Spirit, conceived of the Holy Spirit. His blood, when he was, when his, when he was on the cross, and the crucifixion occurred. His blood that was shed was precious. First Peter says the precious blood of Christ worth more than silver and gold. It was not the blood of any normal man. This is the blood of the Lord. We're talking about the sinless one. We're talking about the one conceived of the Holy Spirit. We are talking about God the Son who became death. He became sin, the Bible says, in our place that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We needed someone to take our place. Jesus took our place in death so that we could take our rightful place in eternal life because of Jesus. His blood is sufficient. His life was sufficient for every person to come back into relationship with God. He reveals this plan to his disciples. And I believe that Jesus probably was reading to them from Isaiah 53, this is just my assumption, and he opens the, the the chapter of the suffering servant that in that time the rabbis believed was about the Messiah. They believed that it was about the, the coming anointed one, and somewhere along the line in maybe the midi- the, the medieval times, this is where rabbis changed their tune, and they, they actually believe that Isaiah 53 was more about the nation of Israel. But we know that's not what they believed in this time. And I can imagine Jesus opening this up and reading to them about the suffering servant because they couldn't accept his plan. And so he said, have you not read about the Messiah? And now you know who I, who I am, that, who has believed our message, verse one, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of a parched ground. He's speaking of the vulnerability that Jesus came. He came as a baby He came out of Nazareth. This is not the way that they thought their Messiah was going to come. And he reminds them he had no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised and we did not esteem him. We didn't recognize him. We didn't esteem him. He didn't look the way we thought he would look. He didn't come the way that we thought he would come. Surely our griefs he himself bore and our sorrows he carried, yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken or smitten or cursed by God and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. And we know Jesus experienced this on the cross. This was a messianic prophecy. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him and by his scourging or his stripes, we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. The iniquity of us all to fall on him. We're talking about the judgment of God fell upon the son of God. He took our place. John said, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Listen, that should make you smile. The weight of it necessary it hits us and we don't know how to walk with that, but it should make you smile because Jesus did what he did for the joy set before him for you and for me. I can imagine that he was saying this and Peter looks at him and he goes, "May it never be." And Peter rebukes him. And Jesus looks at Peter and the disciples and he rebukes Peter and he says, "Get Behind me, Satan. See, Peter could not conceive of a suffering servant because he only believed in a conquering Christ. The person of Jesus he accepted, but the plan he rebuked because he was presumptuous. When Jesus called Peter Satan, he wasn't speaking to his person. He was actually speaking to his perspective because the name Satan means adversary. And this is so important for us to realize that we can actually get in the way of the plan of Jesus. We all want the conquering king. This is what we want. We want Jesus to prevail in this way. That's what they wanted. And I think sometimes in our culture, that's what we want. We want, we want Jesus to rise up in such a way to conquer the nations, to conquer the people, to show himself strong. We want the the lion and not the lamb. But here's the deal. If we will follow the way of the lamb, then we will enter into the reign of the lion. Yes, he came as a lamb, he's coming back as the lion of the tribe of Judah. But listen, we've got to be people that follow the way of the lamb. He wanted Peter to understand this was necessary. Peter thought, "What about the Roman oppression? What about overturning the suffering of the Jewish people?" And Jesus would say, "Listen, Peter, this is the plan. It may not look like the way you wanted it to. You may not, maybe you didn't see Isaiah 53 and think about how this was going to play out, but I want you to know that if I suffer, I die, I rise again, it's going to mean life for everyone that believes upon my name. He came as a lamb, but he's coming back as a lion. This sets us up and connects us to the next passage where Jesus, after telling them who he was, And after telling them what he needed to do, he wanted them to follow his way. And I'm calling this the pattern of Jesus, verse 34 through 38. He starts to share with his disciples that paradoxical invitation of winning by losing, of gaining by giving, of leading by serving. And we follow Jesus, we must deny ourselves. We need to dethrone ourselves and let him sit back on the throne of our life and take his rightful place. This means that we lay down our rights and our opinions and we carry his. We follow the way of the lamb. This is so vital for us. We've got to remember that there is a way that doesn't look right to the world. But as we follow Jesus and we offer ourselves, we give ourselves, we sacrifice ourselves, that it will actually mean life for other people. Now, Jesus gave his life so that everyone could have life but we follow him in that we give our life by giving others the gospel, by being generous, by being kind, by being patient, not seeking to conquer or rule. That is not the way of a follower of Christ. And Jesus actually says that, pick up your cross daily, the instrument of death to self. This is, this is what I want you to do. This is how I want you to live. Carrying the cross is about death to ourselves and our opinions and our ideas and our desires. And it's yes to everything that he wants and that he says. I believe that people would be more attracted to our Christ if they would see him more often in his followers. This is what I'm talking about today is that it's not enough for us as the followers of Jesus to know who he was to know his plan and receive him as Lord and Savior and then looking, look nothing like him at all. The, the exhortation from the Lord today is that we've got to start, start laying down our crowns and picking up our cross. The, 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 that's what the world really needs. They need to see a sacrificial people that look more like the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. It's time for us to follow his pattern and to follow his way. And here's what I wanna say to you if you're watching me, however you ended up watching this, and you have not settled in your heart who Jesus is, first of all, let me just tell you, 21 years ago, this guy right here made a decision to follow Jesus. It says that when Peter called Jesus the Christ, Jesus looked at him and said, "'Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my heavenly Father.'" Listen, God will reveal to every one of us. 21 years ago, he revealed to me that Jesus was the Christ, the Messiah, the one that I needed to save me from my sins and restore me to right relationship with God. He revealed to me, but I got to choose what I did with Jesus. You and I get to choose what we do with Jesus. If you do not personally have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I believe he's revealing himself to you. And it's not an accident. It's no coincidence that you're watching this. You don't know me and, and I don't know you, but here's the thing. God wants to know you and he wants to know you through his son, Jesus Christ, who made a way for us to know him and be with him eternally. The Bible says that those who believe upon his name, he gave them the right to be children of God. We're not in this life just to hang on and do the best we can and suck the most amount of pleasure out of this life and then die. We were not created for death. We were created for life and life eternal. That's why every funeral doesn't feel right. Every time someone dies in our life, there's this sense of something isn't right about death. It's because we weren't created for it. We were created for life. But in order for us to experience life, we've got to give our life back to the one who gave us life to begin with. And that's what it means. If God right now is touching your heart and showing you that Jesus is the Messiah, Jesus is the Christ, you need him. You may be saying to me, Ben, my life is all messed up and I need my life to be a little bit better. Jesus doesn't wanna make your life a little better. He wants to give you a new life. That's what he does. He gives us a new heart. It's a miracle. It's called a new birth. We're born again. We are made new by the precious Holy Spirit when we believe upon Jesus Christ. If you haven't done that yet, let me encourage you to pray this prayer with me. All you have to do is confess with your mouth, that Jesus Christ is Lord, because you know you believe right now in your heart. There's faith in your heart that says this is real. Something about this is real. You don't have to understand everything right now, but you know in your heart something about this is real. Pray this prayer with me. And those of you that have already given your life to Jesus, pray with me today for everyone else that might watch this that doesn't yet know him, that today would be the day of salvation. Pray this prayer. Say, Lord Jesus, I believe that you are the Messiah I believe that you are Lord and that you came into this world and you gave your life for the forgiveness of my sins. Now I ask for your forgiveness and I choose to follow you. I turn from following myself and I give you my life. Now ask him this, Holy Spirit, come and fill me right now and teach me how to follow Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray, Amen. If you've prayed that simple prayer, all you have to do is respond by letting us know. Now You don't have to do that, but I want to know that you've responded. I wanna know that you've prayed that prayer. I wanna know that you're starting a relationship with Jesus Christ. My email address is real simple. It's ben at nwcfoursquare.org. I'd love to hear from you. Doesn't matter how you got onto it, but you got onto it. Contact us. We wanna help you take next steps. Maybe you don't know what to do next. And maybe you're far away from God and you're saying, Ben, I know Jesus or I've known him at one time, but man, I'm not following. I'm not walking after the way of the lamb. I'm walking around stepping on everybody. I'm not showing anybody the way. Well, right now you can get your heart right with God. He wants to do business with us. This week is special. It's where we take the weight of who he is and what he's done. And we remember, but don't just remember in our minds. We give our lives again, fresh over to him right here and right now. Would you do that? If that's where you're at today and you know you need to give your life over to the Lord, you say, I I believe upon him, but man, today I need to change the way I'm living. No, that's called repentance. Just tell him right now, Lord, I repent from the way I'm living. I turn from that and there's nothing good for me there. Everything good is found in a relationship with you and I've been avoiding you or I've walked away from you or I just haven't been where I need to be. Just tell him that and ask him to forgive you and ask him to restore you. And his answer to you, friend, is yes. That's what he always does. That's what he always says. All the promises of God in Christ are yes and amen. He's not merely the God of second chances. He's the God of as many chances as we need until we take our last breath. Turn to him now and watch what God will do in your life. Amen and amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about Ignite Global Ministries, please go to our website, igniteglobalministries.org. While there, check out our Immersion Discipleship School and the books Pastor Ben has written.